0: Huge milestone to announce. Orgy Story is back in iTunes. Top 100 rankings for documentaries. I'm going to stop the music while I say this. Thank you so much. We absolutely could not do this without your support. Find us on Twitter, on Instagram, Orgy Story. Tell a friend. We are truly humbled by the response and your time and your listening. Thank you. Let's get the show going. We've been trying not to mention that a global pandemic's going on. You've probably noticed. You've probably heard about it. Right now, we feel a heavy confliction. People have never been hornier. The apps are lighting up. Of course, we're flirting. We feel it, too. It's summer. We want to go see people, get that vibe going again. And then you just ping pong the argument for about a second, and the pandemic really takes over. It's, It's tough to meet with people as a sex party in New York found out Saturday night it can lead to some pretty tough legal ramifications currently but if anyone does know anyone that was in attendance or who organized it, uh, orgystorycast at gmail.com today Dr. Chantel Tibbles to talk about one of the most fascinating and helpful discussions we can have during this time which is maybe how to shed some light on playing safely and interestingly from a distance thank you so much for listening let us know what you think Twitter, Instagram, at OrgyStory. You can find us on all of them. Bye. This is easily going to be an interview where I get to say the most fun word in the scientific language. Something I have tried to spell many times and not successfully done. But we have Dr. Chantel Tibbles on who is an expert in multiple things, um, but teledildonics is specifically the word I was most excited to say. I first heard about this through really good nature causes, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. Dr. Chantel Tibbles, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing great, Kevin, how are you? Vicki, how are you? Doing great, thank you. Awesome.
0: Yeah, we're in a bizarrely happy mood, even amongst the quarantine.
1: Um, <laughs> right, we are we are mired deep in the quarantine. So it's interesting <laughs> that we're going to talk about um, orgies and uh, sex toys.
0: <laughs> yes, but, you know, that's maybe why we're in a good mood.
1: It's uh, fun yes. topics, maybe. And what's better during quarantine than sex toys? So, you know, um, apparently now, obviously, you can never take mainstream media at uh, face value. However, they seem to report that there has been this massive uptick in uh, sex toy sales. Now, without getting verifiable numbers from actual retailers, I don't know how big the uptake is, but I'm willing to accept the fact that people have been shopping and purchasing more sex toys than they were, say, a couple months ago. That sounds right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's fair to be like, Yes, I, I agree that there's probably an increase.
0: You are this isn't a normal profile, we get. So I don't exactly know how <laughs> you you, you get to your job and your status. But can you tell us a little bit about you? How did you get into this work? How did um, what seems like a passion for studying people and, and social science blend in with sex and sex toy and sex research
1: work? Oh my gosh, it's such a, uh, I'll give you the abbreviated version, because it's, uh, I'm currently 42 years old, and it is sort of a life story, so you don't need all 42 years, but Um, You know, I've always been really interested in watching people, patterns, etc. And then when you want to go to college for that, that's sociology. So um, they they will make a study out of anything or make a discipline out of anything. Which means at
0: some point you also had to wake up at 8.05 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because I feel like that's only when they teach sociology.
1: You know probably but as you go further and further and further into sociology it gets so I mean people are so diverse and there's so many different things that you can look at that you finally eventually start to get to that 3 p.m. on a Tuesday once a week seminar Mm -hmm. that's just like three hours of deep discussion and generally you either go out for drinks afterwards or somebody brings snacks because of the time of day that it is so I mean in terms of a class that's kind of ideal, I guess. I don't know. But be that as it may. So I, I, I was interested in that. And so when I was an undergrad, I one of my majors was in sociology. Um, I went on to get a terminal master's degree, which basically means um, I graduated from undergrad and had no idea what I was doing with my life. So I'm like, hey, I'll go get a master's degree. <laughs> Same.
0: Stop. What? Hey, we're bonded here. Stop uh, stealing my tricks.
1: I'm sorry. I mean, a lot of us out there with those uh, terminal master's degrees, that's that's what happens. So anyway, I went and I, I started working on that and I was sort of, again, loafing around. But the thing that happened that was really interesting and lucky, honestly, is that I'm born and raised in Los Angeles and so I was going to school in the San Fernando Valley, which... The industry has changed. The adult industry has changed so much since these days. This is like 2000 to 2003. But back then, porn was concentrated in the San Fernando Valley in like a real way. And I started, you know, thinking about sex stuff and sociology stuff and and started noticing all this stuff in the valley that I hadn't noticed before. Now I had no idea. I had no contacts in the industry, no nothing. But it, it became curious to me, this idea of, Commercial adult entertainment, and we did not refer to it back then as like a commercial sex work, online sex work. These are these are more contemporary phrases, but back then, same type of thing. Um, and it was regarded in an academic manner as wholly negative. The media wholly negative. Excuse me, the mainstream media wholly negative. And it was shocking to me that. You know, as a person from Los Angeles, I was uh, keenly aware that, like, the LAPD was not going to be allowing all of these, you know, illegal or negative things to be happening. And yet in academic literature, it was all very poorly done and talking about these 100 percent negative impacts that this space had both on the community itself, meaning the members who were working in it, as well as society and I am not an all-or-nothing kind of person, and I was right there in the area, so I felt like I had some insider knowledge, even though I had none. And these questions just seemed like, who are you to say that this is bad for somebody? Who are you to say that a consenting you know, adult over the age of 18 can or cannot do this, that, and the other? So I, I became very interested in it, and I actually moved to Texas, oddly enough, because I was so interested that I was like, well, I have to get a PhD so I can continue studying this, this thing. <laughs> so then I moved out of the area where it was happening.
0: And this fact- is where you head to the UT Austin because I saw yes. this on the resume. Yes. I went to K State, but that's you went uh-huh. to I mean outside of the Big Twelve. Love UT Austin's an exceptional school for this field.
1: Yeah, nice. it was it was definitely um it was really nice as much as I love Los Angeles. I was very excited to get to move to Austin. Um I was very excited to get to go to UT Austin because it is a amazing school. The sociology program there is amazing, and oddly enough, I was greeted with resounding like closed doors. <laughs> <laughs> I was like i shocked I'm gonna... over here. I am going into the hallowed halls of, like, high, high-end, high-prestige academia. And they're telling me that I – no, this is not an idea and this is not a topic we can discuss. It was, it was really bizarre because I wish I could have kind of looked back and went, this is encouraging, Chantel, because this is telling you, like, people don't even know how to talk about – that. people have all kinds of feelings about this. But even what? people who are trained to think – about patterns in social behavior cannot talk about commercial sex work and porn. It's too much. Now there's, there's a good solid literature, you know, to before, you know, I kind of misrepresent here. There's a very good solid literature and there are good uh, scholars, even back in these days. So again, I I was going to
0: ask what are, if you don't mind the uh, date range, what years are these?
1: Oh, so this, I moved to Austin in 2004 so this was is early, right? This is early. And, um, you know, the first years of any kind of program, you're just basically doing statistics in a bunker, right? Like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you're a grad student or you're grading papers. So it was probably about 2005 that I was like, hey, I had this idea. The reason why I came here in the first place, because you're starting to get to know people and you have to start thinking about what you're going to write your dissertation on. So it was about 2005 that I started to poke around a little bit and I was getting these Oh, you know, these, these reactions and responses. And, you know, there were some people who were like kind of kind and interested, but then there was also a lot of misconceptions about all kinds of things. And it's interesting to me, and it's honestly been a theme throughout a lot of my work and a lot of my thinking, um, is how, how unfamiliar, Even people in the industry are with the industry itself because there's so many, you know, like any kind of community, there's so many different facets and aspects. So, you know, porn and sex work and sex toys, it's not just, you know, a performer or products and then, you know, money exchanges. There's so much more that goes into it. But it's really interesting because nobody knows all the parts. Right. So even within the community, there's. Confusion as there would be and lack of information about, you know, somebody who's on the other side of the room or the other side of the valley, whatever right? so that's in the community outside of the community. So the wider social world, the level of of misunderstanding and non-understanding, meaning people thinking things that are wrong or off mark for various reasons, and also people just having no idea like you just we don't have it in our lexicon and our way of being and anything like any understanding of this space. And I can go into a litany of examples that I've talked about in the last week. But, you know, so <laughs> the idea that people don't even really have any idea about this and it's it's really been um, significant to me because it continues to be as pervasive. Like when I was a grad, little grad student, I didn't even know what I was talking about. I didn't even know the questions to ask. I just knew something was going on. And then I was trying to go to people who are supposed to know more than me, or at least have a process for approaching, or excuse me, developing and then approaching research questions. And this specific topic caused even the smartest, sanest, level-head social research scientist to be like, oh my gosh, that's oh, too much. <laughs> and that was fascinating to me, fascinating, that like, porn, so to speak, could cause people to just sort of scramble their brains. I hope so, they said that in that exact voice, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> if somebody would have, that would have been great, but it, it came out a little differently now and again. But <laughs> so, knowing so – Okay. It was what it was, and I, I somehow threw whatever. I found my way through, and that was good. But it was not without a it was not without a lot of ah. Uh,
0: no, the world has that. changed quite a bit in terms of you Certainly. know feminism, sexuality, openness to discuss it, right? Because yeah. I mean, Stern's just a, a podcast people probably don't listen to if he starts in, in 2018, but 04, because one of the things we've heard from from a lot of sex therapists is a very similar arc, right. right? with a lot of resistance about pushing the boundaries in terms of sex and pushing sort of what's been a, a pretty monogamous stereotype um, up until about, uh, I don't know, four years from now, maybe? We'll see.
1: Right. You're
0: finally seeing it on in mainstream media though, the, the alternative relationships. So it's fascinating that you followed a similar, similar trajectory. Can I ask knowing kind of now that you've, you've taken this and and turned it into a career where you're doing a lot of talking about it, educating, as well as kind of focused a little bit more on, on toys. Was there something, did that stand out in grad school? Like, did you read something or is that where it started to steer? How does the, the trek go?
1: um well that's interesting too so meaning how did I get school to where I am now um so the conventional path for somebody who has a research PhD like I do is to go and be an academic and you know I did that I so I did a postdoc at USC so I moved back to LA um and you know I was I was working the conventional academic path but it it just started to become really frustrating because um you know i did the the cycle of publication you know i've lots of peer reviewed research and and this and that and it was especially at that time too because now it's very on trend for there to be sort of um, free scholarship meaning like there's these uh, not peer reviewed open source journals that people can publish in and go to and and the process has changed somewhat and what are what's expected of academics has changed as the world has become much more on demand for information. Now, that doesn't mean that whole system is perfect, but this is, again, happened after what I'm about to describe, which is happening, which is academic research starts to get really old. So, you know, I'm, I'm conducting work, and I'm doing this whole process, and I'm publishing things, and I had one paper that took over two years, like two calendar years to publish. By the time that paper, peer-reviewed, top journal, et cetera, came out it was already dated and like oh great what is this even talking about so what I was starting to run against was that a lot of this work that I was very passionate about and you know the more I dug at it the more I realized I needed to keep digging type of thing um is that it was not having the kind of impact that I wanted it to have and that I felt that people really needed you know, so I switched gears and I started moving into um, writing for mainstream media outlets. So I was writing for places like Vice or Medium or Playboy for a long while, you know, places that uh, that the work that I was doing would have sort of a, that day uh, social impact. And I, I really liked that. But that caused me to kind of shift my gears away from academia and ended up in this different place. Where I'm actually out of academia completely now, which is kind of interesting.
0: And I think that catches us up because yeah, now we're <laughs> and we're talking sex toys, right? And now we're talking sex toys. But when you're talking sex toys with a scientist who's put the legwork in, and you're you're seeing because you know obviously we all have the ability to Google search and. Sure. Your name pops up with quite a few different projects and having a, a voice on this, we just wanted to make sure we explained where the expertise on teledildonics because around like year 10, I assume you can pronounce it without ever messing it up. You still mess it up.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I don't even know if the word teledildonics has been around for 10 years. And Fair you know, enough. it's interesting that you, that you say it like that because there are actually people like there are robotics experts and there are different people who are, who are, far you know I I study social behavior so more like how does a person approach this object that is a sex toy and give it so much human meaning or use it to have a human interaction because I mean a sex toy as awesome and as complicated and as um, advanced as many of them are they're just objects you know until a human does some stuff to them right and then they, they start to have different meanings but the, there's people out there who are absolute and true es, um, experts on the actual teledildonics science. And those folks, I have been told, often are referred to, okay, I'm going to try and say it and see if I can do it, Oh.
0: Whoa. I
1: did it. <laughs> I said it. That is an impressive word. Oh, yes, I don't think I've ever said it out loud before. Oh, no. But so somebody who's actually like kind of um, working on the interface and 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 how, you know, a toy that then you can kind of operate from a distance or something that is kind of interactive. So there's a lot of toys that, you know, one person can be here, the next person be there and one person squeezes it and the other one reacts. Yeah, you know? That was going to be my question is, can you explain to us what Teledulonics is? That's what telodildonics is. Right. It's it's basically like toys that can have some sort of haptic response and humans can interact with them to interact with other humans. Now, I'm sure out there there is another or excuse me, there is a teledildontist who would tell you that my explanation is a little uh, simplistic. And it probably is because, again, I'm not I'm not like a, a robotics.
0: Yeah, that's per- why CNN calls you though, and not <laughs> yeah, the uh, I don't know tele-dildonist. How
1: many of our listeners are roboticists. Either. I don't either.
0: But <laughs> the way I first heard about this concept was uh, it was a very patriotic way. Oh, it was explained to me for and now after seeing some of the prices, I, I could at least call it a question. But it was originally pitched as. As soldiers were going off to war or being displaced from their families for a long times, this was a way for them to connect. So that's just what I remember. A, a see, speech the, about it, yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean that's a that's not untrue, right? There are people, especially, and see, this is where the the dimension that I can kind of speak to, like social patterns, social behavior. There are those. And I don't want to say extreme case examples because I do not want to, want to minimize how many hundreds of thousands of people are separated from their families because they're, you know, doing that or some version of that, right? They've been shipped off. They're doing, they're, they're somewhere else.
0: Sure. Yeah. And Lots, I mean, any distance, right? Any,
1: any yeah. distance, right? There's a lot of people, they can be on a base, like on the other side of the county, or they can be on the other side of the planet. That happens but i think even more frequently than that happening this this idea cuz that you know that's a tale as old as time right we've been shipping people off to other parts of the world to do this that or the other forever but now we live in a world where people are you know dual income dual household dual locate dual location so commonly so frequently i mean there are people you know, and it's it's never good to sort of anecdotally draw from, well, I know somebody who does this and I know somebody who does that. But every single one of us, I'm willing to bet, knows somebody who, you know, partner A lives on the block and partner B lives in a totally different state. And maybe they see each other one weekend a month. So. The idea that there are more people that is becoming a common, more quote unquote normal way, whatever normal means, way of being, of being separated, but still being in a relationship where you want to have intimacy and intimacy for us often involves physical intimacy. So how, how do you do that? And teledildonics is one way. So sex toys that do have some sort of response and some sort of high visual impact and some sort of like unknown dimension to them, meaning that there's some motion or there's some surprise or there's some element that, oh my gosh, like it it takes people out of the fact that, hey, we've got Skype on and you're over there and I'm over here and I'm in here with this purple plastic object and that's <laughs> the end of it. Instead, something about that haptic capability allows people to forget about that because this object, no, it's obviously not human and it's not moving on its own, but something surprising happened with it. It did something and that made it feel like a, a more interesting connection. And I don't think that teledildonic objects would have worked, say, not not worked like functioned. I mean that they wouldn't have been as socially accepted and embraced 15 years ago, 20 years ago, because we weren't as comfortable with being distant as we are now, if that makes any sense.
0: Uh, especially now. And the only thing I can relate it to in terms of a pretty tangible understanding, and it's the, the Zoom call thing is a funny mention to, to where we are now. But that's the same explanation you get from a lot of people that do online gaming and are a part of those types of communities, mm-hmm. right? They're really just talking to each other the same way we kind of always do. It's the goal and having a communal thing to do together that gives it provides that meaning, provides that interaction. And that's where you can see a clear argument towards, well, that's probably amazing for sex as well.
1: Yeah, there you go. hundred percent. And it's interesting, though, because now, obviously, OK, I have to qualify all of this with I'm not a a I even feel stupid saying the word, even though I'm not I'm not a gamer I don't play video games. I don't know anything about it. I used to play Super Mario when I was a kid.
0: We call them tele-game assists. Tele-game
1: assists. That's literally the end, honestly. Like, I was really good at Tetris when I was a kid, and that's the end. Um, So I don't know the gaming world whatsoever. So I'm not trying to talk about gaming like I get it but it's interesting because i know that there's a lot of issues with video games from you know how much time what it's doing to your eyes your brain bond- bonding with people all there's a million things that people will talk about generally negative often positive with gaming i don't know about any of those things i do know though that as a culture and as a world and as a human population if you were to hold up two topics one in your left hand and one in your right hand gaming and sex in the other that people will have stronger more discomfort more i don't understand more i know that i should think like this but i really feel like that and i feel conflicted about it about sex versus gaming sex is something that causes us to get all squibbed out in a myriad different ways and a huge scope and gaming might in some ways too, but it's not as intense and it's not as broad of a feeling set. And I don't feel like people have as, um, as many internalized issues about it. So as a consequence, when you're talking about, you know, the human interaction through gaming, I think that people might have an easier time getting over the hurdle of that being a, a viable or positive human interaction than they do to the hurdle of a teledildontically assisted interaction being. God, did I just say that? Boom.
0: That was nice.
1: positive, or or um, you know somehow healthy or whatever. And it's not because the interactions, because in many ways they're very very similar, right? You're you're having a, a sort of an interaction with somebody who's not physically there, but it is still you can hear their voice you know what they're talking about, you can get to know them, you guys are, you know, making moves as opposed to what the other one's doing, like you're responding to each other. That interaction is not that different. But we regard the sexual one differently, because it's related to sex. And that I think is a big dividing line or a big separation between the two topics, not a bad separation, just a separation that makes them markedly different.
0: Well, now we get to shift into the the fun year. Let's say myself and my dear partner here are about to spend a year away and we want to get into teledildonics. Believe me, we're definitely on that track anyway. We might just enjoy it if we're quarantined for another two months. Like, I'll be downstairs. This will be fun.
1: (laughs) You got to spice it up, right? You're just like, I've seen you for however many hours today. I don't know if I would have sex with you right now, but maybe (laughs) if one of you, I'm not saying which one, was upstairs and the other one was downstairs, and you were utilizing it, it might be fun. Just kidding. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) Oh, and frankly, if you know anything about us, it could go either way on who's being teledildonic versus who's running the teledildonic.
1: There are some where you can both have a piece. Wow. You can both have an object. my, my dream, dream. yeah <laughs> things have changed
0: <laughs> well how do you where do you go because the big part of what we try to provide at orgy story is a framework so i want to get into tell i'm in what do i do
1: <sighs> i think it would depend really and truly and this is it, I, I struggle with giving um advice of this nature or suggestions of this nature because everybody's different so it's as much as I like to be like I'm out of academia I I have a I have an academic training in me and I have to qualify everything I say (laughs) as a consequence and the major qualifier is everybody is different and first of all if you want to get into it first and foremost if you don't that's no problem right not everybody wants to do the same sex things and not everybody has to and and that I think is uh it's it's always important to remind people cuz people say oh you know comfort and consent you know you can go as far as you want it's okay to to not go far at all like to just just do what you're doing and do your thing like that's totally cool too so we're
0: big just, enthusiastic consent fans yes, here at the uh, right. the orgy story
1: yeah so i mean it's it's always important to make sure that first and foremost you even think if you want to do it or if you're even interested in that. And I think that the next thing might be is is to consider how, and this is going to sound weird, or maybe not, I don't know, how comfortable are you as an individual with pleasure products or sex toys? Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you that if you've never looked into getting a sexual device or an object before and you're just like, hey, I'm going to go look, there are a seemingly endless amount of options, right? Like there are tons.
0: We were addicted tons. to the love honey reality show where they were showing this, the sex toy shipping business, but yeah, yes, there's a plethora and there's, there's, there's a lot out there.
1: Yeah. A little something there's, for everyone. There's a little something for everyone. Um, there are ones that work, inside the body and there are ones that work outside the body there are ones that attach to different objects of clothing and things there's all kinds of stuff right so um depending on how comfortable one already is with pleasure products or sex toys that might also um, dictate where you look meaning if you are sort of new to sex toys you might, and I'm not going to name any brands here. Sorry, <laughs> I can't give you any any specifics. But maybe like an insertable or an object that maybe is inside the body and then has a, a like a leash, like a pull. Um, maybe that's not the choice for you. Not maybe maybe not at the time. Meaning you would want to get something that's a little more conventional to start out. If that makes any sense.
0: It does. And I, I think people are, are definitely, because partially what you're you're discussing, though, is if you're wanting, it, the difference being, though, if you're just looking for a vibrator for yourself, there's a, it's a much more trial and error. In my experience, if you're looking for something that has the teledildonic inter, interactivity, meaning technologically, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little pricier.
1: Oh, there's that aspect, too. I wasn't even thinking about that. That's good that you raised that. Um, Yes. So, so um, sex toys that have these capabilities generally are, I mean, how to say there are objects that you can get that are multi thousands of dollars, right? That's not the norm. Those are, you know, higher, higher, higher end, and um, more complicated, right? But you're probably looking around the like 120, to hundred, couple hundred dollar range for teledildonic sex toys. And then you can also get toys that have teledildonic capabilities. So there are some toys that you can use just kind of conventionally. There's like a controller, there's the thing, however you're gonna do it. And then they also might have like a Bluetooth interface or an app or something like that. And the motor bunny is an example of something that's a pretty fixed sexual object but that you can also add those dimensions to it.
0: Yeah. And as I'm looking through these, cause if people aren't familiar, we're kind of talking about a, a, the popular term used just cause it, it might've been first is a Sibian like machine, but a machine so that's that,
1: a brand like a saddle vibrator.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah. I was just about a saddle vibrator is a way better way. I was about to be like, it's kind of like a small workout bench. Um,
1: <laughs> no, they all have it. So like there's, there's, it's interesting because sometimes – you know how like sodas, uh, carbonated beverages – I don't know what part of the country you guys are in, so sometimes people say pop, wherever it is. But you know how we're like, oh, a Coke, and somehow – or like you get a Band-Aid. But it's not – that's not what it is. It's a, it's a soda or it's a, an adhesive strip, right? And somehow we've associated certain brand names with certain objects. So they, with sex toys – There are a lot of things like that. So you'll have like a basic dildo, but there's always one that gets kind of like named or like a wand vibrator, which is an interesting thing. A wand vibrator, there's like 10 of them on the market, but there's one specific brand that people always refer to as like the band-aid of wand vibrators. And so that's the same thing, like the idea with the saddle vibrator, right? There's several options out there, but a saddle vibrator is what it's actually called.
0: And this is an emerging form. So we've been doing research for season two. And, and obviously toys came up because one of the big questions was what types of toys do you take to orgies? Because we notoriously do take toys to orgies. <laughs> we'll, we'll pack a bag. Are you kidding? We're, we're going ready. But the, <laughs> the interesting part. What just if is, one of you
1: needs to take a break? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and everything's made better with a little fun equipment. I mean, there's, right. no, there's no shame in that in terms of at least our, our opinions. But one of the things we wanted to get in touch with was someone who could give us an emergence about some of what you see from a, a cultural impact perspective. Because you see it referenced as a fetish. You see it referenced quite a bit in adult content. How popular, I guess, do you feel like the use of sex toys is across from single sex play to group sex play? How penetrated, to use a terrible phrase for this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, oh, has it penetrated the marketplace? That's what you mean. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was good. That was good. Um, That's really interesting. And it's honestly a difficult question to ask, and I'll tell you, uh, or excuse me, a difficult question to answer, and I'll tell you why on uh, two levels. The the first one is that if you were going to ask me, well, sex toys are perfectly fine. Like I have nine of them in boxes. Literally, I just got a box from somebody sending me nine samples. Like,
0: that's a tough to a job. Yeah, that's a tough right? perk of the job.
1: There's literally nine unopened objects from a manufacturer that I received. Sitting on my kitchen table and later this evening, you know, if it was an ordinary day, not in quarantine, a friend would come over and I'd be like, oh, yeah, those are there. I also have a stack of porn sitting next to me on the floor of my office. For and research,
0: just, people. For it's research, different. It. This is education.
1: So if you ask me, I would tell you personally, well, I mean, who okay, they're everywhere. It's totally fine. Get here. Take one of these. It's totally fine. Have it. Right? <laughs> um, so it's interesting because you have to consider perspective novelty products are selling more than they ever have right and people talk about sexual objects more than they ever have and and all of those would let you know that okay this is something that's kind of on the uptick right so then if you think about two dimensions here the first one being okay so so cosmopolitan is telling us that these are the you know 10 greatest vibrators to have after you have a baby or whatever clickbait story of the day is. And that's great because that's a mainstream piece of media. But going back to the penetration, how how realistic or how penetrative of the marketplace is that article? Is it actually accurate? And that is an answer I don't know the answer to, or excuse me, that's a question I don't know the answer to. And I don't know if anybody really does. Because again, going back to the thing that is guiding social behavior is this discomfort that we have with sex. And so just because you can now go to Target and buy, you know, eight different kinds of lube, and it's no big deal. Is it actually no big deal? You know, is it actually something that people are doing? Is it something that people are using by themselves? Are people starting to feel more comfortable with a partner? You know, sex educators and sex experts would tell you, yes, it's definitely increasing. And you know, they would know. But it is also something that until there's actual data, which there is not, the answer is, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. The other thing in the added dimension with um, you know, playing with others and things like that is, okay, so so you are you have whatever level of comfort with sex toys that you have and we'll just use you and Vicky as an example Kevin and we'll say that that comfort is high. But then you go to a situation and you're like, "Hey, anybody else feel comfortable doing this? This is cool. Can we bring these out?" Like it's no big deal. And then there's that then situation of, okay, what about your community's comfort with it or, or how that works out? And so that's another um, answer that you guys would probably maybe know a closer answer than, say, if I was able to present you with numbers or not. Because I can't present you with numbers, but anecdotal experience might say something different. Well, on that group note, too, what sort of sex toys, types of sex toys, would you bring to a group play situation like an orgy? Some that you can clean easily and that you can clean well. And I don't mean that to be flippant in the slightest bit. It's great that's advice. One, that's great. Well that's one that's one thing that in general with individual just an individual person, you know, having their own sex toy, cleaning is a thing, right? <laughs> and 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 using the right cleaner and also using the right lube. Um, can really impact the toy and impact your health, right? So that's just you as an individual with your own. So now you're going to a situation where you might be sharing toys with others and things like that, and you run into a whole other set of issues. So my first and foremost thing that I would say is something that you can either clean or barrier or protect really easily and well. Okay. Meaning, if you got to put that, if you got to put the condom on the dildo, you got to do it. It's just
0: the way it is. (laughs) We also found cordless is super helpful. If you've got something that's chargeable, it's obviously got a limit, but it doesn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also the little, um, if it's something that has a plug-in charger, I know that so many things have that like lovely, beautiful silicone that when you pull the charger out will just kind of seamlessly move around that. But there's still like a little hole. So the ones with the magnetic chargers and things like that, those are much better because there's less of a, a bacteria potential space and the bacteria its everywhere man like we gotta obviously <laughs> i mean we're living in a new world you know what maybe actually the world we're living in now i hate saying this this but it might be a positive thing people might actually be more inclined to really think about sanitizing sex toys now, which is great.
0: People, yes. United States citizens, unlikely. But I like your confidence. I'll, I'm I'll go with you. am trying
1: to find a silver <laughs> lining. Not everybody has to be a hater like you.
0: <laughs> well, you have to give us a little bit... Uh, we want to give people the next step. So if they wanted to... Your work, you can be found across the interwebs. Um, actually, as soon as you start Googling her name, it'll appear for you. It just pops up. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. nice. <laughs> but where can people go next if they want to keep following your work, keep seeing what you're doing and, and staying in touch with this movement? Because I think people – the goal is to, you know, no no toy lovers left behind. This is way more popular, I think, than maybe people know. So we just, you know, what's next steps?
1: Well, I mean, I'm always, even though I'm like, I've turned into a silent tweeter and more of an observational tweeter because it's just social media is just this thing. I am always still, and I confess it, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Dr. Chantel. And yes, I'm always on there if anybody needs to get a hold of me, even though I only tweet when I have an event and then I go and I delete the tweets <laughs> that's my new that's my new social media. It's so stupid, but I'm just like, I will not give them my data. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm somehow hiding, which is the most idiotic thing that I probably ever thought in the last year. But yes, I'm always on there. And then my website, chantaltables.com, um, people can always get a hold of me through there. But really what I'm doing now in terms of research and initiatives, I do still do so much educational stuff within the adult industry. Um, In the pleasure product sector, in the um, webcam sector, um, I'm always doing speaking, organizing. I do a lot of stuff where I will get people from the community and put people on panels. And, And my biggest thing that I try with that is to get good representation so you know, good group of people from across the board within the community that can actually speak to the issues. And then I'll just stand there and make sure nobody's talking over each other. <laughs> so I do try to do a lot of that and just a lot of educational stuff. But on the back end, I do a lot of consulting with different companies and I work with different groups to try to make sure that we are being socially responsible Um, in our words, in our initiatives, um, in inclusivity, in terms of maintaining consent. And, you know, I work with all different organizations from all corners of adult entertainment. So I like to think that there is kind of this unseen educational process happening within the community as well to sort of... um, Make us better relate to wider society as well as to people who are looking at utilizing and really exploring with adult products.
0: Well, Orgy Story listeners, follow Dr. Chantel on Twitter. You can see some tweets before they're deleted. We cannot, (laughs) if you're fast, fast, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate talking toys with you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank Thank you you so much. much. Thank you so much. You both. It was really, really lovely. That was Dr. Chantel Tibbles. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate her coming on the show. We will for sure be bothering her again. We are hard at work for another one, possibly two episodes for toys. You know, things are a little fluid. We're trying to decide if one more interview makes it in the cut. Look, You don't need to be in on the sausage unless you want to be on on how it's made. Did I say sausage on an orgy story podcast? I've got to work on my language tonight. Look, we really appreciate you listening, joining us. Let us know your toys questions as we... Well, as I just put the microphone away for the evening before um, any more, uh, I don't know, banger comments are made. Because that's, I think, UK for... Stop saying sausage orgy story produced got it cool please follow us on Twitter follow us on Instagram we'll see you next week